For those of us who are staying, you can grab a Bible and turn to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs 4 can be uh, found on page 529 in a Blue Pew Bible. If you don't have one, you don't want to use your phone, you can use the Blue Pew Bible in front of you. And I just want to say that coming off that mega video, the, uh, the pie to the face was a culmination of a week-long voting process to see who gets it. So I have gone ahead and confiscated all the ballots, and we'll be doing a handwriting analysis over the next several weeks to see uh, where that leads. But um, no, I just echo what's already been spoken. It's, it was a great week. Um, echo the gra- gratitude towards Megan and her leadership and how much of a gift it is uh, to our church at seen in many ways. Uh, but especially uh, seen this week in Mega. And part of that leadership is getting 60-plus volunteers uh, to work, not just cohesively together, but committed, uh, building camaraderie. And what struck me about this group of, again, 60 volunteers, men, women, and teens from Grace, uh, is that some of them have been here for decades, just decades, just serving faithful, still pouring themselves out for uh, our VBS program, uh, working alongside those who've been coming for like a month or two. And, and yet, just this shared vision, shared uh, running that race together, um, and such an impact for the kids. And we definitely will be continuing to pray for Megan and for the other team from Grace Church that will be serving at Crossroads this week. Um, but as we turn to our Bibles, uh, the 10 Sundays from 4th of July weekend to Labor Day weekend, um, each week will be a sermon from either Psalms or Proverbs. So, as you can see... From the title of our series, uh, with a burst of creativity. I've called it Psalms and Proverbs. Uh, I want to say just when inspiration hits, it hits. You just got to go with it. But many of you know that our primary preaching ministry here is going through books of the Bible. We walk through 1 Timothy verse by verse for six months from January to June. We see that method of verse by verse expositional preaching to be the most effective way to build up the body of Christ over the long term, to see from every nook and cranny of Scripture how everything points to and finds its fulfillment. It's yes and amen, as we sang this morning in Jesus Christ. Um, Now, if you've been here a while, you know that some years we go through longer books of the Bible, and when that's the case, we just go right through the summer, next sermon, next passage in that longer book. Uh, But then there are also years, like this one, where we end a book in June and then have this opportunity in the summer to preach through some passages in Psalms or Proverbs or Psalms and Proverbs. And um, there's a practical reason, but really a deeper discipleship reason. Um, Practically, many people are in and out in the summer, more in the summer months than compared to the rest of the year. So it, uh, those books lend themselves to, um, to kind of a little bit of a standalone feel week to week while they're still kind of united uh, in that book of the Bible. Um, but again, the deeper discipleship reason is that um, at Grace Church, when it comes to the preaching of the Word over the long term, we want to expound all of Scripture. Because the Bible, it says itself that all Scripture— is God breathe? All Scripture is profitable for teaching and for training and for building up in righteousness. And as Paul uh, said to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, he wants to say uh, with a clear conscience before them that we declared you the whole counsel of God. And so, just as you will be in the best shape physically if you pay attention to your whole body in your workouts and your nutrition and not just your biceps before you go to the beach, all right, like that, that, that in the same way in your spiritual formation over the long term, It would be best for all of us if from every aspect of Scripture and all the genres, from the historical narrative to the Gospels to the epistles to the prophets and to the poets 
in the poetic books like Psalms and Proverbs. So, so far this summer, uh, the last two weeks, Pastor Ben, two weeks ago, and then Matt Smith last week, both preached on Psalms. Both did an awesome job just proclaiming Christ from the book of Psalms. Awesome. And this morning, we dive into Proverbs. So let's talk about Proverbs. Um, This is a compilation of um, several authors' work, but it was primarily written by a guy named Solomon, who was the king of Israel uh, nearly 3,000 years ago in 900 B.C., So written by a king, primarily written to the king's sons, the literal sons who would be growing up to take the throne, take the reign. And by extension, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, whose word remains through space and time, the book of Proverbs applies to all the king's children, all God's children, which is why in 2023, we can read the book of Proverbs, study it, apply it, and it'll be useful for us today. So you're tracking with me, it's written by a father to his children and written for the purpose of instructing them to continue in covenant faithfulness. That's why Proverbs is in your Bible, to give instruction on how to remain faithful. In chapter 4, which we're going to read in a moment, Solomon puts it this way. He says, keep your heart. This is written so that his sons will keep their heart. Proverbs is in your Bible to help you keep your heart. So written by Father to the sons for the purpose of covenant faithfulness and the key word of how that's going to happen, how they'll keep their heart, how you can persevere to the end is wisdom. Wisdom. So most of Proverbs, if you were to flip through the 31 chapters, is thematically based, meaning from chapters 10 through 31, it's a collection of Proverbs, of sayings, of truisms um, that span across a whole bunch of themes. But then the opening chapters of Proverbs, so chapters 1 through 9, do have this cohesive, consistent discourse about wisdom in general. So this morning, we're going to read Proverbs 4 and unpack it, and what I hope to help us see is that the purpose of all of Proverbs— is to teach you how to, um, to maintain to the end, to stay faithful. And that hopefully these sermons, including this one this morning, will teach you how you can read and study and apply Proverbs in your everyday life. It is for everyday life. Because above like almost anything else in this church, I long to see you, I long to see myself stay faithful to the end. Do you want to make it to the end? Do you want to be found faithful at the end? Do you ever have fear that you're not going to make it? That things are going to get derailed? That you're going to fall away? Proverbs is for you. And it's for me. And we're going to dig into chapter 4 this morning. I'm going to read it in its entirety. You can follow along on the screen or in the Bible in front of you. Hear, O sons, of father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight, for I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget, and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her. And she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. 
Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Verse 10. Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on, for they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Verse 20. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet and all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Amen. Proverbs 4 shows us how to keep our heart. And it revolves around this word, wisdom. So this morning, we're going to see, out of Proverbs 4, wisdom defined, wisdom explained, and then third, wisdom gained. Starting with number one, wisdom defined. Here's what the author is telling his sons, what the father is telling his sons. Everyone is on a path. Seven times in this chapter, there's instruction to, that refers to a path or to a way that they are traveling on. Everyone is on a path. This morning, as you see here this morning, you woke up, you're on a path. The person sitting next to you this morning, sitting behind you and sitting in front of you, they're on a path. Each member of your family, as they stand today, are on a path. Everybody you work with, play with, go to school with, everybody you travel on the train or the bus with, everyone you're going to sit on a beach with this summer, they're on a path. And life is moving because things are always in motion. Even those times of life where you might feel like you're in a place like that right now, that things are spinning. You feel like, you feel like the tires are spinning. You're not going anywhere. Things are still in motion. Because God's path is not just about where you are going, but first and foremost about who you are becoming. God's path is not first and foremost about where you are going in life, but who you are becoming in life. And at the end of this journey that we call life, whenever it ends for us, it's not going to be about primarily where you are, but who you are. And so this is instruction on how to be wise. Um, you know, we talked about this before, I think in our First Timothy series, that we tend to think about our path in life in terms of where we want to be. All of you, if I were to ask you, one year from now, July 2024, where do you want to be? How about five years from now, ten years from now? Where do you want to be? Where do you want your kids to be? And it's not bad to think about that, to plan for that. There's actually a sermon later this summer about Proverbs, about planning, right? We, we care about planning. But God tends to think about your path 
in terms of, first and foremost, what kind of person you will be when you get there. Because we have far more control over who we will be than where we will be in life. There's a whole bunch of things that can happen between now and a year from now, and five years, and ten years, that might prevent us from being where we, quote, want to be. But you do have control over who you will be, wherever you are. And then he says in verse 1, so that all that considers why he says, hear this instruction. Be attentive. This is for you. And then he says, I'm passing to you what my father taught to me. Why did he say that? Why is he saying, hey, son, I'm giving you what my daddy gave to me? I think the reason why he's saying it up front is because that instruction of being on the path of becoming is timeless. God's wisdom and God's instruction for wisdom has never changed. He never implemented a new strategy. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever because our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So think about this with me. Think about when you were growing up. Think about all the things your mom or dad or maybe your grandma or grandpa taught you how to do. Tons of things of of what they taught you how to do. Now, how many of those things are kind of useless now because times have changed, right? So how many of you learned how to dial out on a rotary phone? How many of you, your parents opened up the yellow pages and the white pages and said, this is how you find somebody and you call them. This is how you find a business and call them. You learned how to use the yellow pages. I remember when I was in uh, first or second grade, um, my parents were teaching me how to, how to use our main house phone. We had several house phones, but we had one main house phone. And for dialing out, it was one of these phones that had all these buttons on it because certain numbers were saved into this phone. So you didn't have to dial the whole number. You just had to press the button that said MEM1 for memory one, MEM2, MEM3, MEM4, and you can decide the most common numbers your family needs. You just put them in, single button, calls it out. Amazing. Well, one day I was in school, again, first, second grade, uh, went to the nurse's office, felt sick. I guess it was decided I'm going home that day. My parents were at work. So the nurse asked me, hey, uh, do you know your dad's work number? And I'm all proud. Stand up straight up and say, yep, mem one. <laughs> and then, you know, she broke it to me, you know, Aaron, that's not going to work here. And I said, uh, try again. Yeah, it's, uh, it works. <laughs> works every time. It's pretty incredible. It's a new thing. All right, mem one. Parents, there are some things that you're teaching your kids now on how to do and keep doing it, keep teaching them, but one day they'll never care. It will be useless and we could go off the amount of things that we're teaching them how to do and then we don't stop instructing, right? Keep teaching them how to do, but here's what I'm saying. More than teaching them of how to do, how are you instructing them on the kind of person you want them to be? Are you teaching the path of becoming not just the path of doing. Because that is timeless. And it's been happening from generation to generation. And at the top of the list is verse 5, get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget. So here's a good time for us to ask, what is wisdom? If that's the key to everything, what is wisdom? How do you define wisdom in God's eyes? Well, if your Bibles are still open or if you have it on your phone, turn ahead a couple of pages to Proverbs chapter 9. 
Uh, I said earlier that Proverbs 1 through 9 is this kind of cohesive, extended introduction about wisdom. And so look at chapter 9, verse 10. It'll also be up on the screen. It says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. All right, so this is really interesting for us in our summer series because two weeks ago, Ben kicked it off preaching a great sermon on praying through your fears. Perhaps you were here for that. Uh, if, you, if you were not, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. It's a great sermon of praying through your fear. And it's great because Ben did a great job, but the topic is very relevant to everybody who hears it. All right, nobody hears a, a talk or a sermon about fear and go, ah, oh, man, I wish I had something more relevant uh, in my life. What would it be like to fear in this life. I just can't relate. Nobody's saying that. And so, out of Psalm 3, he talked about praying through your fears. And at length, he went through the common fears that we face today, from the daily fears to the deeply rooted fears that can be crippling. And he said that the Bible says 86 times, do not fear, meaning do not fear the things of this world. But wait a minute. Here in Proverbs 9, in defining wisdom, it says, fear God. So what do we do with that? What's up with that? How do we think about fearing God and the exhortation to fear God when the rest of the Bible seemingly says, do not fear? Well, it is understanding that when the Bible talks about the fear of God, it is talking about a fixation on God because the reality is we tend to fixate our minds on the things we fear. So when it's called to fear God, it's saying have this reverence, have this holy fixation on God, not the sense of being scared of God enough to actually do what he wants you to do. So there's a pastor named Jeremy Treat who defines the fear of the Lord in this way. So if, that's, if you know that's kind of been your story, you, you, you've heard about the fear of the Lord and you've always kind of wondered, it's been a little vague for you, like what's that actually mean? How do I think about that, apply that? I think this definition could help. It'll be on the screen. The fear of the Lord is a radical God-centeredness that shapes everything else in life. That you're building your life around God. That is the fear of the Lord defined. That's the beginning of wisdom. And if you go back and listen, Ben hit on this in his sermon. That the way to conquer your fears in this world is not just to close your eyes and try to will yourself to not fear. We've all been there. You don't have to fear this. You don't have to fear this. You don't have to fear this. But rather, open your eyes. Fixate your eyes on God. And live with this radical God-centeredness that then will begin to naturally diminish your worldly fears. It doesn't mean you forget your fears. It doesn't mean you run from your fears. But when you fear the Lord and you gain wisdom, you'll now be able to face your fears with renewed courage because you know what? They don't have a hold on you. Your eyes are fixed on God. And I think a lot in the book of Proverbs, it's for us to apply to our lives, but also if you're a parent, especially your grandparent, to have a meaningful role in young children's lives, this is also is a book to instruct you on how to instruct. What Rochelle and I are finding, like, as we speak, is that as our kids begin to grow older and they gain a bigger understanding of the world and the way they see themselves, they are beginning to fear more things. 
Like, at this point, if you were to ask Rochelle and I what parenting is, right now we'd say parenting is helping your kids through fear. And the key is not to teach them to run from the fear. Just pretend it doesn't exist. Or to hear some ways around the fear. But to teach them a radical God-centeredness. Show them even better a radical God-centeredness in your own life that will infuse courage into them. And then, yes, use the practical tools and exercises that can be utilized in the midst of that God-centeredness to speak over their fear and replace it with truth. Wisdom begins with receiving the invitation from God to center your life on him. To not just know about that, but to actually begin to do it. Well, we need to see that fleshed out a little bit more, which leads to number two. From wisdom defined to now wisdom explained. Proverbs 4, and by extension the whole book of Proverbs, is meant to be really practical. Here's my fear in the book of Proverbs. It kind of stays in this ethereal range. Wisdom and fear of the Lord. and It's all up here, and it's kind of in one year and out the other, and we don't really know how to apply that to our everyday lives. But Proverbs was written for your everyday life. Literally written for wisdom in navigating the ups and downs of everyday life. And so in our Bible, we have these 31 chapters to help instruct us of what it actually can look like when God is increasingly at the center of your life. Uh, There's a pastor named Ray Ortland who explains wisdom this way. Uh, This quote's not on the screen, but short. He says, wisdom is the grace of God beautifying our daily lives. It's meant for you every day. Wisdom is the grace of God beautifying our daily lives. And you use it every day. Big decisions, small decisions. Wisdom is needed when you have to choose the right job. Wisdom is needed when at your job and how to jump on the next project and which project you should join. Wisdom is choosing the right person to begin dating. And then the person, maybe, to consider marrying. Wisdom is not being shocked in the midst of your relationships because you actually understand people in God's eyes. Wisdom is never being shocked by your own thoughts or your own actions because you actually begin to understand yourself. Wisdom is knowing how to leverage your media news consumption in a way that helps you pray for and love your neighbor. That helps you keep from just outrage from based on what you see and actually leads you to a place of God-centeredness and praying for them. And like, listen, we all know it's coming next year. Like 2024, not that far away. It's going to get hot again. It's going to get tense again. There's going to be a lot of choosing sides again. Wisdom's needed for you in 2024 in this country. It's for your every day. You know, um, on Mondays, as we say often, our staff gets together and we pray for the requests that come in on Sunday. So with your connection card in the pew or the uh, digital connection card, you can submit requests. And we encourage you to submit requests. And on Monday morning, we pray through every request. And it is amazing how often that when we pray for you, when we pray for one another, how often we say the word wisdom. Lord, give them wisdom. Or if we're sick and tired of saying wisdom all the time, we say discernment. Kind of just keeps it fresh. We're praying for wisdom and we're praying for discernment. Pastor Ben in his sermon uh, in his prayer this morning, I counted at the 9 a.m. three, four, five times that he just said the word, Lord, grant them wisdom. 
Father, give them wisdom on how to handle the stress of parenting with two full-time working parents. Father, give them wisdom on how to speak to their adult child who just told them they've walked away from the faith. Father, give the doctors wisdom in determining a diagnosis and treatment for them, for a loved one. On and on and on. Lord, grant them wisdom. This is for life. And so Proverbs will explain the way of wisdom by contrasting it from the way of foolishness. Look, if your Bibles are open, look down at verse 11. He writes, I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. Then jump down to verse 14. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. Keep looking down to verse 18 and 19. Notice the contrast that's all throughout. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. So the word of God all throughout, but especially in the book of Proverbs, speaks of what's called the doctrine of two ways. The doctrine of two ways. Remember, we're all on a path. And all of us are journeying, not only going somewhere, but more than that, becoming someone. And the Bible says, at the end of the day, there are two paths. Wisdom and foolishness. And everyone will choose either the way of wisdom or the way of the fool. And here's the thing, there's no opting out. Uh, There's no sitting on the fence. No setting up shop at the fork of the road and saying, I'm not going to choose. So here we are in July in the summer months. Maybe some of you, several of you have been going on hikes this summer. Maybe you're the day hike type, right, over to Ramapo, Skyline Drive, Bear Mountain, Harriman State Park. Maybe you're more intense. You're on a backpacking, you know, kind of person. Several days in the AT. We got one member who comes back today from a 10-day backpacking trip in Canada. So if you you hike regularly or even occasionally, you surely know what it means to come to a point on the trail where you have two paths in front of you to take. And maybe you were talking to someone, you weren't paying total attention to all the trail markers, and you realize, oh, here I am. There are two paths in front of me. I got to take one. And at the moment, you look down the path on the left, and you look down the path on the right, and you say, I can't immediately tell what's the right path. But here's the thing when you're in the woods. Like, you can't opt out of a decision. You can't say, I'm going to try both at the same time. You can't say, I'm just going to turn around and go home. This is too hard. You're going to have to choose. And for all the complexity there is in the Bible, and there are plenty of things that are complex in the Bible, the main thrust of the message is actually pretty clear. There's two paths. There's the way of God, and there's the way of the world. The wisdom of God, Paul calls it in 1 Corinthians, and the so-called wisdom of the world. In the Sermon on the Mount alone, which is in Matthew 7, it has this whole passage of teaching about the doctrine of two ways. It's through all these word pictures. You have two roads in verses 13 and 14, two trees in verses 15 and 20, two claims in verses 21 to 23, and then most famously, the two houses. Verse 24, verse 27, the one that's built on the rock and the one that's built on the sand. But it's always only two. It's only two. And the path of godly wisdom is like the rising sun. It illuminates, it warms, it guides your steps. 
And the path of worldly wisdom is like a deep darkness. Everyone doing right in their own eyes. Stumbling over one another. But the really tricky thing is, is that the world is very good at making the path of foolishness look like it's attractive. Like the path in the woods that seems to go the right way. Like I'm, I'm following it, I'm trying to track it, it seems to be going in direction. But if you were to take that path, you eventually would find out it's a path to nowhere. That leads to nothing. And until we come to alive, to a, living a God-centered life, it's easy to be, to kind of even hear this now, and, and, and maybe, maybe you're, if you're honest, you're kind of thinking this now, it's easy to kind of be like, no, I'm, I want to be a little more standoffish than that. I hear all of it, and maybe you kind of internally laugh at the silliness of it all. And what has been rising in our day today is a feeling of superiority, um, of non-commitment. You know, the fastest growing religion in the United States is no religion. You can see all the studies. They call it the rise of the nuns. That's not N-U-N. All right? We're talking N-O-N-E. The rise of the nuns. No affiliation. Non-committal. Don't box me in. I'm going to do it my way. No one can claim me. I'm doing my own thing. No path. So again, Proverbs is a parent instructing your kids, parents, the, the most dangerous threat your kid's future is not them choosing a different God. It's choosing no God. Non-committal. Be a nun. But the reality is they are choosing a path. They just don't know it. They are rejecting the wisdom of God because there's only two paths. One just has a whole bunch of names to it. So, we've seen wisdom defined. We've seen out of Proverbs 4, wisdom explained. But we haven't answered the most important question. How do you get it? Which leads to number three. Wisdom gained. You know what the dark secret of Proverbs is? Here's the dark secret. Is that while it was written to guide the sons of Israel, and by extension the people of Israel, into covenant faithfulness, Israel ultimately experienced all the covenant curses because they chose foolishness and ultimately were sent into exile. The instruction was good, and yet they went into exile. That's the dark secret, which leads to the most important point about the book of Proverbs that ironically gets missed all the time. So if you trailed off, come with me here for the last few minutes. Here's the most important point in the book of Proverbs. That this chapter, along with the other 30 with it, is filled with instruction on how to live wisely, how to become wise. And you can't do it. You can't do it. You and I cannot be wise in our own strength any more than one of the second graders I had at my basketball station at Mega Sports Camp could go dunk on a 10 foot hoop. The problem is not a lack of instruction. It's a lack of strength. And if we don't understand this, ironically, horrifically, Proverbs will then have the reverse effect on your life. If we don't see this, then this book becomes a rule book. It becomes a manual. It becomes a full of these pithy sayings and these truisms that if you, if you try really hard and you show really good discipline, and I look around the room, I know a lot of you guys are very disciplined, type A people. So if you just try really hard, 
you will get along better in this life because you will do what Proverbs says. There's a problem. It doesn't work. C.S. Lewis puts it memorably in his book, Mere Christianity. He writes, No man knows how bad he is till he has tried very hard to be good. Beyond knowing that, I think, honestly, we feel that. You know what's interesting about learning as a kid and being instructed? No one had to teach you how to feel shame. Your parents didn't have to teach you about the fear of not being good enough. Nobody had to teach you how to fear getting exposed in this world. That if they, whoever they is, just found out this, it's game over. No one had to teach you that. And the reality is that there are moments where we are harder on ourselves than anyone else can be. And that's shame. Leading to separation, which eventually leads to isolation, which horrifically leads to more shame. Are you there this morning? My guess is some of you are there. The rest of you know what it's like to be there. And the rest of us one day might be there. So verse 23 holds the key to it all. I mentioned this phrase earlier, but look down your Bibles. Verse 23. Keep your heart with all vigilance. Why? For from it flow the springs of life. Here's where Proverbs turns. Left to ourselves, we would not have a heart worth keeping. But the light shining into the darkness is the fact that God in his mercy does not leave us to ourselves. Rather, he has set a king on the throne. A king who walked the path of wisdom in your place. Because wisdom is first and foremost a person before it's a way of living. Wisdom is a person and his name is Jesus. And in Jesus... He was not uh, born of a virgin and coming into this world just to teach you how to live your life. He didn't just give you a rule book on how to be better. Here's how to be better. Good luck. Maybe I'll see you at the end. It's not the gospel. Rather, he came to give you a new heart that is worth keeping. Paul writes about this Jesus in 1 Corinthians 2. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ is the wisdom of God. And so seen through the lens of the gospel, seen on this side of the cross, we can go back to Proverbs and read Proverbs and see this is good news for bad people. Proverbs is not a rule book on how to be better. Proverbs leads you to grace for sinners. It's not about first what you got to give to God, but first about what God gives to us. And so we have these two paths. We have this world wisdom and God's wisdom. And verse 23 shows you the difference because the world says true wisdom is gained from the outside in. That's how you get wise according to the world. It's through a good education, through a self-help guru, through an Instagram influencer will make you wise. It's through being cultured, you see experienced, 
world traveled, sophisticated, sexually experienced, those are the ones who are wise. It's all from the outside in. But God says, true wisdom is gained from the inside out. It's through receiving a new heart by faith. It is through Christ being in you, dwelling in you through his spirit, and then flowing out through you, where now in him, in his strength, you can progressively, increasingly grow in wisdom. In his strength. Which is why we close Proverbs 4 with these verses that come after that hinge, after that key verse of verse 23. Look where then it leads to. Once your heart is captured by God, which Matt preached about last week, we see it play out in our everyday lives. Proverbs is for life. Look at verse 24. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. This is Proverbs. From transformation to instruction. From eternity to your everyday. From your heart to your mouth, your eyes, your feet, and your hands. Here's how I want to finish, because I do, I honestly have a big fear of Proverbs just staying up here. And then you walk out, and it just kind of stayed up here. And you go out there and you're like, what do I do with this? So here's what I want to do. It's an analogy I heard from Ray Ortland to make this concrete for you. Everyone put your dominant hand in front of your face. Do it with me. Your dominant hand, your righty, right hand, lefty, left hand. I want you to look at your hand. Don't look at me. Look at your hand. Last week, Matt Smith said in his sermon on Psalm 84 that your fingerprint is a one of one. Look closer. Can you see the lines in your fingerprint? Look close. Do you know that right now in this moment, what you are looking at, no one else in the world, 8 billion people, has what you are looking at right now. That's what it means when this is a one of one. Keep looking at your hand. This hand is capable of good and of evil. You have been wise with this hand, and you have been foolish with this hand. When you write with it, type with it, scroll with it, touch with it, point with it, eat with it, drink with it, give with it, receive with it, you've blessed others with this hand. You've sinned with this hand. You have memories that the longer you look at it might come back, memories that will bring you joy. There's other memories of the same hand that will bring shame. And the longer you look, the more the memories will come back. Friends, keep looking at your hand. And make this concrete in your life. That Jesus died for that hand. And he did it by allowing a nail to be pierced through his own. And his hand being broken is why your hand can be restored. That when you look at your hand, you see that his grace is bigger than your shame. That his mercy is larger than your sin. That you can run to the Father again and again and again. Because faith 
is the hand that receives the gift of wisdom, and his name is Jesus. And through a new heart, this hand is the one that you can guide in a way that walks on the path of wisdom. And this hand can stay faithful to the end by his grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's not just ethereal. It's not just concepts. We thank you that you sent your son to not only secure our eternity, but to guide our Monday. Lord, I pray for those who maybe are just feeling or being reminded of shame present or past, that, Lord, they can surrender that to you. That every time we look at our hand, every time we think about the concrete nature of our lives and our embodied people, Lord, that you died for this body by giving yours, bringing all the glory to your name. And so, Lord, in your strength, in your strength, we can be wise, we can grow in wisdom, for our joy, for the benefit of those around us, for our families and our friends and our neighborhood and our workplace. Father, let us see that it is you who keeps our hearts. Keep us to the end, Father. Keep us to the end. It's your name we pray. Amen.